We are talking about a comic book, which we all read. If you did not also read this comic book, be aware we may talk about the events that happen inside of it. If this is going to make you sad, you should read the comic book first. That's like playing pretend with five-year-olds. Oh, that Spider-Man, he was just a clone. Did I just have a stroke? Welcome to the Trade Secrets Podcast. I have tough skin, apparently. I did not know I had this power. Comic book talk by comic book geeks just like you. What we did not know was that Nikolai Tesla was the original designer of the Fleshlight. Make it, make it, do it, makes us... Welcome, everybody, to episode 61 of the Trade Secrets Podcast. I am your host, Luke Matthews, and I am joined today by Ann Bean. Oh, hi. Andy Padel. The pre-ramble is over. And Edmund Isaac, who is back on the show after, fuck, four episodes? Oh, Three or four episodes? Yeah. Ohio goes I lost. So, last episode, we announced a a, uh, a group of shows. We announced the next four or five episodes of the show. Throw all that out the window. Hooray! Gone. Every, everything has changed. It's all my fault. <laughs> everything has changed. Tick, uh, tick, we were tick. originally going to do uh, Buzzkill for this episode, uh, and then... Um, we found out that it's not <laughs> it's digitally not available. Actually available y- out yet. It's not even out, the trade isn't even out yet, Andy. Um, which is not usually a problem, but we didn't we didn't have an easy way to get it to everybody. So that show is going to come later. I'm uh, too ahead of the curve. What can I say? Yeah. So what we're actually going to do this show is we're going to we're going to be talking about the first trade of Fatal. Uh, it's an Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips. Uh, like joint that's the word you're looking for it's like criminal with cthulhu, <laughs> um, cthulhu. so uh, we'll be talking about that later uh, i think there there isn't there isn't really much of anything in the way of actual industry news right now which is really i mean they they did announce uh or have so- pseudo announced that there's going to be a solo black widow movie which oh, yeah. I think is going to be kind of cool. Huh. Um, which actually, the the whole reason I found out about that was like linking through another article that was talking about how talking about the um, um, horrendously photoshopped uh, <laughs> Black Widow poster for Captain America: The Winter Soldier. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, and all I can think of to myself is I saw the the pre and post photoshopping, and all I could think is why? Why would you do that? Because like. It is it is Scarlett Johansson in leather in a pseudo Skin tight pseudo sexy pose right there's and then not quite the like spinebreaker or anything but right. you know like there's no re- no reason to ever photoshop Scarlett Johansson exactly uh, and that's what I'm really. sitting there because when I saw the unphotoshopped version I was like that actually kind of looks better than the photoshopped yeah. version and. I, it just makes me wonder why these things happen. It's like, especially with a woman like Scarlett Johansson who needs no photoshopping None. whatsoever at all. So, interesting yeah. comment from uh, Studio Ghibli guy. Help me out here. Uh, Hayao, Hayao Miyazaki. Miyazaki. Wa- wrote, an, wrote kind of a rant, really, about like why manga sucks these days. And he says, it's because people don't look at reality before they go and draw manga. They're drawing these, like things that are so disconnected from anything or person in the real world. Yeah, manga is like this cartoonist style that has no basis in actual anatomy or anything anymore. And it's I mean, if you look at Miyazaki's work, it totally has a basis in reality. Yeah. And he, he was basically giving a plea to to young manga artists to like go and do life drawing and then go back and draw manga. Well, it's like, I mean, I, you know, I watch a lot of anime and read manga, and, it's, it's, and one of the first things that ever stunned me 
about modern, I'd say modern anime and manga. Because if yeah. you go back and you look at like stuff like Fist of the North Star and Akira, like mm-hmm. and um, uh, what's the one with Jubei? Cla- uh, Ninja Scroll, Ninja, Ninja Scroll, Scroll and stuff like that. Those, especially for apparently taking place in Japan, were definitely more uh, believable or realistic. Yeah. Or, or like and like Fist of North Star, post apocalyptic, like more believable and realistic. But when you talk about like modern stuff, um, like it'll take place in Japan, but every woman in Japan is blonde haired, <laughs> five seven, one hundred and forty pounds with humongous boobs yeah. and blue and big blue eyes. Wait a minute, you put them over a hundred pounds? Yeah, <laughs> that's being generous. They're, pro- so. they're right. They're probably they're probably a hundred two pounds yeah. with humongous boobs or whatever. Legs and, that are like <laughs> two thirds of their body. Exactly. That's that's seventy five pounds of their weight right there. That's actually one of the reasons why I really enjoy the original uh, Street Fighter anime because. I mean, yeah, there's everybody's kind of overblown in it, right? Yeah. It's it's very much the udon style yeah. where all the guys are like super muscular and yeah. all the women are like super svelte, except for the fact that um the their musculature is fairly realistic mm-hmm. and the thing that really really caught me about that one more than any other anime I've seen was how um like all of the fight scenes were were based in realism, right? right? Where there are yes, later on you get into the like the superhero fight scenes where they're throwing fireballs and yeah. shit, but there's the fight scene in the beginning between um Ryu and Feilong yeah. is fantastic and it's something you could have you you would could see in a real like right. movie, it, a real fight. It wasn't, unlike, it wasn't too over the top. Unlike the Chung Lee Vega fight. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean there's definitely there's definitely those like those moments in that movie, but um, like Chun Li picks up a couch and throws it at Vega. <laughs> all while keeping the she does. On. She does CrossFit. All right. Yeah. <laughs> she does. She, she will tell you all about CrossFit. She'll tell you all about. She'll tell you all about CrossFit. You got to do squats. Anyway, let's get back let's on the talk subject about of comics. comics. Uh, the one thing that I wanted to bring up first, real quick, is that right now, and I'm not sure how long this is happening for. Oh, it ends on two seventeen. Oh yeah. Um, is the image comic uh, Comicsology is having an image leading ladies sale? There are five different comics that are on sale through. Well, actually, more than five. Um, I think it's just five ongoing series and then a bunch of older stuff. Like older shot, older stuff in one shots. Yeah. And uh but the f- the five ongoing series uh in the Leading Ladies sale are Pretty Deadly, Velvet, Rat Queens, Rocket Girl and A Voice in the Dark. I've never read Rocket Girl or A Voice in the Dark. I am a regular collector of the other three. What the hell? How's Velvet? Get them. Now. Velvet's awesome. Yeah. I love Velvet. Is that the assassin, the Russian assassin? Or no, something? no, no. She's a she's a British, British spy. British spy. Former okay. former she's a secretary. British spy. She's a secretary slash former British spy who gets framed for the murder of an agent and is hmm. trying to. It's nice. It's a little bit James Bond, a little bit the fugitive. Okay. Uh, and it's a really good lead. Uh, Andy's met on it. Mm-hmm. I actually really really like it. Okay. I've been meaning um, to check it out. Uh, Rat Queens is one of the most fantastic books on the market right now. What's, the, what's uh, that about? I need it's, to get that. it's it's basically it's Battle Chasers too, okay. but with an all female Skull Kickers ish. Yeah, it's a, it's an all fe- so imagine taking uh, taking D and D and mixing in like the aesthetic of um, roller derby. Nice. So you've got. 
That's really I mean, an the character analogy. design is great. D and D roller derby. It's it's not not meaning not that roller skates, but just that rock and roll mentality, like this kind of rock and roll team based mentality mm-hmm. that that roller derby kind of carries with it, with a little bit of that kind of like fifties pinup girl retro vibe. Um, but it's basically a group. It it centers around a town that has several different teams of adventuring mercenaries mm-hmm. that it hires to. Um, it like brings them in and then gives them assignments for various different things that they have to take care of around the town. And in this, in this particular storyline, they oh, so um, side quests. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. One of the, the teams is, is it the four Dan's. Yeah. yeah okay. Or Dave's the four Dave's. Yeah. Four Dave's. Um, it's really, really fantastic. It's, um, it's just, it's, it's really funny. Uh, if you've ever been into fantasy or played D&D, it's really good. We've talked about Pretty Deadly ad nauseum on this show, so, <laughs> so just good. go buy it. It's um, the, issue, the first issues of all these comic books are, are uh, 99 cents, and you would be dumb not to buy them. Um, the Rat Queens thing actually leads into, is a good segue into... Uh, we will Curtis be at Sheep. Emerald City Comic. We'll be at Emerald City Comic Con uh, in a month and a half, and I've already talked to. Uh, we will be doing interviews with the creative teams of two of my favorite comics. We'll be doing. We'll get both uh, Curtis J. Weeb and Rock Up Church from Rat Queens will be coming over and doing an interview, Woo. and um, Ed Brisson and Johnny Christmas from Sheltered will be coming over and. Talking I with us, I find out what type of booze they like because I think a flask <laughs> will be required, uh, possibly. Um, so yeah, it's uh, Emerald City is going to be awesome. I'm looking into getting some other interviews as well, but those two were. It was funny because I tweeted at Curtis Weeb about it, and I'm like, "Hey, you want to do an interview for Emerald City?" And his response was, "It's kind of tradition now." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we will talk to them, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I. I finally got my comics after the entire month of January not being able to read comics. I finally picked up my comics, and I'm about halfway through reading all the shit that I, that I picked up. It's so fantastic. I've got so many good books. It's so fantastic. I've um, So let's see. Harley Quinn is actually a really entertaining book. Um, in the latest chicken suits. Yeah. Is this yeah. The, the infamous chicken suit book? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she has okay so i i really don't understand how even like even in this universe that one like people kind of don't know who she is i don't know where she's i i don't remember the city she's actually living in but it's obviously far far away from gotham um because she has she has three jobs right (laughs) she is she joined a roller derby, which she is freaking awesome. I at. bet, good she God. Is, she they they so they so she does this in in like half the comics. She does a tryout for a roller derby, and they bring her in. They're like, yeah, everybody target the new girl. Well, by the time she's done, it's just like a pile of of like bruised, banged up bodies. <laughs> and she's like, I got the job. They're like, yeah, you got the job. So she does the roller derby thing, right? She she's a landlord because she moved into this building, but then the guy like died and then now she like runs the building. And so she's like a landlord of the building, but like half the people can't pay rent. But so they, in stage they do like certain favors for her and stuff. It's really weird. There's like a circus that lives like downstairs. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And then her third job, she's actually like working in a a small uh, mental institution. Okay. Doing, doing I can see her, her actually be doing her mad. original. Yeah, doing her. I was going to say she job. she's a psychologist, isn't right? She? She's a psychologist, yeah. right? <laughs> but what she did. So here is something that they've instituted now. Apparently, 
I guess early on when she start, first started working for the working with the Joker, she got she bleached her skin. She got a bleach job. So in order to go to work, she has she uses makeup and she covers like her face, and like mm-hmm. any visible parts of her body. And then like when she goes to a roller derby job, the bleach job is acceptable. Like it's like it's only just not acceptable at that institution. At the asylum, but that's interesting that she has to pretend to be the sanest at the asylum. <laughs> right, mean, exactly. It's 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 so it's so weird. It's a, it's a but it's a really it's a really good book, and they keep um they keep they give like a it's like a like different artists draw this, and it's nice. like the original the original one number one or number zero issue. They it's, they brought in all these artists. I mean Bruce Tim and yeah, all these yeah. you know artists who have done Harley Quinn over the years, and every so often like in the issues like. You'll see it. The art's a little bit different. You realize it's a different artist, and I think that's really awesome. Because I like get, books like that. You get to see everyone's interpretation of how they think, you know, Harley Quinn kind of, you know, looks and portrays herself. And it hasn't. I know. I know. Luke doesn't seem to be a fan of this, but it, I'm not a fan of it because I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm so. I'm such a huge fan of limited run books with a consistent creative team that it's hard for me now. It works sometimes. Like there's a comic book I'm reading right now that that called Zero, mm-hmm. that um, the artist is different on every issue. Right. And the way that it's written by Ail, Ail, I don't know, is it Ailescott? Ailes? Alice? Alice? I have no Alice. idea. Alice Cott. Alice. Okay. It took me forever to get Bachalo right, so <laughs> <laughs> so we'll say Alice Cott um, writes it and. It's interesting because he writes it in a way that it's like every issue is in a completely different time period, right? Because so far that so far it has spanned like twenty five years and has jumped jumped around quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So the change of artist on every issue makes sense because the not only does the time period change, but like the tone of each story is very different, right? Um, Sometimes it's like this kind of Mr. and Mrs. Smithy spy story vibe. Sometimes, like, the first story was in, um, I want to say it was in Afghanistan, and it was in the middle of a war zone. And so each issue is very different. So the artist works that way. But um, I think I've gotten punched in the face by Marvel and DC changing up their creative teams so often that they, it's they, hard for me to be like... They do. It's like a, It's almost like a six... A six issue to twelve issue run, and then the artist changed. Like, if that much, I feel like when it's intentional, it works, and when it seems more incidental, or like, well, you know, when it feels like a character got killed off on a TV show so that the actor could go do a different TV show, yeah, Yeah. or it's not so good. Or the the two that come to mind immediately from the big two from stuff that we have done on the show were Wonder Woman, uh, where we hated. We liked one artist and we hated liked, the other. We liked Cliff Chang. We didn't like Tony. Right. Yeah. And Hawkeye, where, oh, yeah. like, uh, David Aha was amazing, or Aja was amazing, and uh, Brian Polito just ruined the book for me. Um, and and those were instances where it was literally just like, um, this artist is not capable of maintaining a monthly schedule. Therefore, yeah. right. we have to have a filler artist to do the next arc. And that's, I don't know. And I, I mean, I, part of me wants to be compassionate towards some of these artists who are really good but not fast enough to maintain a monthly schedule. And part of me is like, fuck, fuck you. I want a consistent creative team. Guys are <laughs> going to webcomics. Like currently, like Scott Snyder, he, apparently he's taken on too much. 
Yeah, he's I got, can see he's that. He's got Batman. He's, he's got Wake. He's got. Um, there's another book too, but like two of his American books, Vampire. I mean, yeah, and a couple. Of his, I guess two of his books are late, like are like really late right now. American Vampire has been on a hiatus for like it goes on they, regular they made that hiatus. Big old one shot like short stories. Yeah, that was done by a ton of different people, and I feel yeah. like mm-hmm. that was kind of I mean, filling he's in. The, and he's the writer, and he's like overworked right now because I guess he also goes to school, so he is just. It, yeah, I mean, yeah, hmm. I, I think it, it's at the point where you just have to know what you can manage. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think, and I think a lot of artists they get, you know, maybe it's passion. They get so passionate about their work and what they're doing that they want more work and they want to do more. And then by the time they look, they're like, "Oh crap, I've got like six projects and they're I all monthlies." And, and there are yeah. times where I think um, there are books that I I can identify that have definitely suffered. Um, the the biggest one, Battle Chasers. Well. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's kind of a bad example. Um, that's a perfect example. It was a phenomenal book that just stopped. But that was because Madariera just stopped being a comic artist <laughs> and writer. That's awkward. And writer, like, yeah, he just gave up on it. Hmm. Um, the the one that the one that comes to mind immediately for me is is the massive, um, because the massive for the first probably ten issues, one of my favorite comics. Uh, the last couple of arcs have suffered with Brian Wood being split between the massive and Star Wars and Conan and he was and an X-Men book and um when he was writing the massive when he started the massive I think Conan was the only other thing like he his previous projects he had let go or had finished and he was just doing Conan and the massive and both of them were fantastic and then all of a sudden like he he got more work and started taking on this other stuff. And there, there was, there was a couple of arcs of the massive where I was like, really? Oh, come on. Really? Just, it started. I think the, the new arc looks like it might be pretty good. The first issue is pretty decent and I'm hoping it picks back up because the massive started as one of my favorite comics. Um, but yeah, it's just, um, it's, it's kind of interesting because you know, these, these writers and artists get popular because of their quality of their work and then their, their popularity, um, if they can't manage, if they're not willing to say no to a project every once in a while, their, their overall quality yeah. starts to suffer because of their inability to manage their time. Yeah, that's true. Um, I wanted to bring this up real quick because this is fucking spectacular. If you if you own the Lock and Key hardcovers, oh yes. snap! So when Lock Luke and is Key is like the king of hardcovers. Well, well, the Lock and Key hardcovers are so attractive, though. Yeah, when Lock and Key Alpha and Omega came out, they did one of the coolest things, which was uh, they released Alpha and Omega with a slipcase for all f- six books. So it was it was just an case. it Jeez. was just an empty slipcase with Alpha and Omega only in it. That's for you, smart. for you and for you HD viewers, Luke is currently showing yeah, this it's on, on, his, it, on his iPad. You, if you go to my Twitter stream, you can see a picture <laughs> of it actually. Um, but it was just it was just it was an uh, a slipcase that had an in like a styrofoam insert where the other books go and then a copy of Alpha and Omega so then you can now slipcase all six of the hardcovers. That's brilliant. Cool. What are you going to do if you have the red label versions? Uh, you're not going to put them into this slipcase. That makes me sad. The red label versions are the like absolute style ones, right? The big uh, one? There's 250 of them <laughs> and they're like 140 bucks and each one has a key in it. Wow. Nice. One wow. of the, well like one of the yeah. um recreations yeah. of one of the keys. The nice. skeleton skeleton key guys. Just, yeah. So I, I have one of the keys. 
So the then that's <laughs> then that must be a third version of the hardcovers because yeah, there's they, also they the leather start, bound yeah, embossed them, ones. They're they're stupid nice looking and like just you know what I'm I'm actually really happy with these hardcovers. These standard size now slip cased hardcovers are just they look fantastic. They fit on my shelf. They're awesome and they're uniform. Yeah, which is lovely. Which is always awesome. Except for the fucking white one. Well, that's <laughs> you know, it's a thing. I think that that's intentional. Oh, I'm sure it's intentional, but the the one that um the one that I'm torn about right now is is the planetary omnibus. I'm like it's so good. I've got the hardcovers though. I've got the four ish the four volume hardcover and I'm so you just look over on my shelf. Yeah, you know, I know, I know. I've seen it. <laughs> Believe me, I've held it in my hands and I'm like But you could put the planetary next to lock and key and then you'd have two series is where the fourth fourth one is white yeah. and then uh. the other thing that that um the other advantage though that my four volume hardcover set has over the omnibus is it doesn't have the planetary crossovers <laughs> the advantage so. mine has is that you can kill someone with one of those books <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's don't, don't break into for andy's house in for fear of being beaten to death by a book <laughs> by a by, by a, a comic a, book, by a comic book. <laughs> So for the last two days, we have been reading the first volume of Fatal because we were originally going to read Buzzkill and Andy... Uh, that was Buzzkilled when we could not yeah. find it. To I'm too ahead of the curve. That's what I'm Andy going with. A, Andy Ball made, Andy dropper. Made a poor decision. Uh, so we we read Fatal. And you know what? I am, I, I am, I'm okay with it because uh, I've, I've been interested in reading Fatal ever since it started. And you're um, in love with Ed Brubaker. Uh, I it's have Phillips. <laughs> it's it's not just it's not just one guy. He's yeah, that's right. Men. I haven't read. <laughs> I don't think I've read something in the last two or three years by Brubaker that I didn't like. Like that's like Velvet is fantastic. I love the criminal stuff. I love like I, I've I've even started reading uh, in advance of the second movie. I'm st- I've been reading Winter the Soldier. Winter Soldier stuff. Um, like I'm I'm a Brubaker fan. I, I like Brubaker a lot. Um, this book, for those of you who are not familiar, is a it's it's a very classic uh, Brubaker Phillips noir tale with a Cthulian twist. It's uh, it's Kalima, got, <laughs> Kalima, Kalima. It's um, I don't know if Kalima is Cthulian per se as much. You know as what the Cthulhu? That's so funny. When I was reading this book, and like one of the when you're doing in the digital, I'm not sure if it's the same in the hard copy, but in digital copy, like the first couple of pages, one of the monsters pops up with the with the octopus head, right, or right, mm-hmm. and I was like. Man, I think Cthulhu is like overused. It's like there's so many mediums or pieces of media that I can name that have used like a reference of Cthulhu as like a like villain slat like character or just a reference character. Um, I mean, Billy and Mandy, like like Grimm's Adventures. <laughs> well, use it's Cthulhu. it's fairly uh, ubiquitous in American culture, and it is like. American horror, right? Yeah. And that's Wh- where's that, where's the Cthulhu legend based from? It it's comes H.P. Lovecraft. H.P. Lovecraft's weird little brain. That's why I was like, Kalima is based on a thing, an actual goddess, yeah, as right, opposed exactly. to Cthulhu, which is based on H.P. Lovecraft. There have been the idea that the world was once inhabited by by 
a pantheon of gods that was yeah. um, that's right inhuman gods the old Agent gods yeah. yeah is has been around for a long time but specifically the Cthulian style of horror was a Lovecraft thing okay. all was right. all H.P. Lovecraft see I've learned something new because I did not know yeah so the more you know um, the, the <laughs> knowing is half the, knowing is half the battle <laughs> for those for those who are not familiar with Fatal I'm I'm pretty sure that the the conversation that generated Fatal, I, I'm willing to bet the pitch line was Brubaker and Phillips sitting around and thinking to themselves, I bet they got on the subject of the term femme fatale, and one of them said, so what if, what if people around her, what if she actually made people around her start killing each other? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I thought like, it was a great send-up of the trope. Yeah. Because it, it starts out very, like, kind of, one part like realism detective but also one part there's like a reminiscence story and which is very much like uh hp lovecraftian mm-hmm. in terms of like you know the old the old man in the bar with no face who's like ah <laughs> right <laughs> let me tell you of the mistakes of my youth <laughs> how i uh, lost my face that wasn't important that's not the worst thing that's that not happened. the worst thing let me tell you <laughs> and then it goes into you know very noir about this woman and it was interesting her introduction was really interesting because um it's it's very realistic at first and you have a character meeting her and he's like suddenly i felt like you know a high school boy and i was kind of like really that's kind of cheesy but it's the further i went along the more i realized that it's just like it's thing, her it's, it's her. something she can't control it there's some yes. there's weird yeah. shit going on that, yeah that was my my initial when i first started reading i was like okay and i really thought that we were reading like a gritty crime detective noir mm-hmm. story like that's i thought that that like la noir or mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. other stuff just yeah classic noir yeah just class yeah and i was like okay okay i can i can, I can do this because i'm I, i'm not like i guess i'm an undercover noir fan like i do like the gritty like closeted the, i swear closeted to god noir. i thought you were gonna say undercover brother <laughs> <laughs> andy only if you made yourself available you know oh. <laughs> So, <laughs> didn't we have this conversation before the podcast yes, started? We did. Yes, yes, we did. But um, the- now, now let me let me clarify something. <laughs> it has absolutely nothing to do with me being disgusted by homosexuality. It has everything to do with me being disgusted by fucking you two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh wait, you said fucking you two. Does that mean you know you literally and figuratively <laughs> yeah. both at the same time? I'm just let that lie. <laughs> anyway, so like I was trying to say. I've always been, I've always been, um, I guess you could say, a little enamored by the whole noir um, genre. genre. Yes, mm-hmm. thank you. The noir genre. It's very, it's very gritty. It's very uh, dark, which I tend to like, like uh, different different media that fall in that fall in that category. And um, I like the way the stories are told, and I like the classic. It's always the classic detective where he doesn't speak, but he thinks oh, he has all these thoughts the and narrative. voiceover, and they're yeah, they're all narrated. And it, I think it's I, it's very it's very awesome. Guy noir, private. Yeah. Eye. Well, and that's and that's I mean that's what Brubaker's best at, right? Mm-hmm. That's his between criminal and incognito, and and his kind of what they have started calling the Brubaker and Phillips universe. Uh, uh, of all the things that they've done together, mm-hmm. like that's their thing. Criminal is is fantastic. It's it's frankly it's the best noir comic, straight up noir comic on the market. Mm. Um, they haven't done one in a while, but things like that spawn things like Murder Book by Ed Brisson, which is also fantastic um, Yay, and can be read book. for free. Um, but the moment I remember hearing the um, 
actually it wasn't it wasn't that I heard about this book. It was that I saw a teaser image when it first came out, or was it was about two months before. Was it the squid faced gangster? The squid faced gangster. It was yep. like a squid faced Cthulian guy holding a Tommy gun, and I was like, "In, yes. I'm in." <laughs> and um, I really, really, really enjoyed the first arc of this book because they. Um, Brubaker was just a master of slowly revealing to you what uh, he's a master of pacing. What's the What's the chick's name? Why can I not remember? Joe. Joe. Josephine. Thank you, Josephine. What Josephine's effect on her world was like, and it was like, like Anne said, you start out thinking this is kind of lame. Like this is these these corny overdone, you know, two dimensional characters. And then you realize that they, they slowly reveal that, that her impact on the world around her means that her whole life goes to shit because of things that she can't control. Right. And, and it's just watching the, the, watching the dominoes fall as every guy she comes into contact with like just falls head over heels and starts going their life starts going to shit and it dies because a of horrible, her and it dies a dies horrible, a horrible death, fiery death yeah. loses a leg it's you know. like yeah. she she's the type that in the movie what you know she'd walk into the bar and everyone would turn and look at her except that just happens to her all the time yeah and it's great because there's understated stuff later in the book when she's like you know yet another dude in her life has met a horrible end and she's sort of like huddled in the bar trying to drink away her sorrows and yeah. like and she doesn't want anybody to notice her too she's kind of like not trying to right. make contact no, no. with she's anybody like and head yeah. down but there's some yeah. guy that's gonna light her cigarette and like stare at her exactly yeah, yeah. hey doll you want to get you want to get some meats together later? <laughs> I was. Do uh, you want to have your face doll ripped face? off? I know I've got these tentacles coming out of my mouth, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you never get me, Coppa. See, yeah, yeah. No one catches Squid Face uh, no Joe. Squid <laughs> Face Joe, the uncatchable. <laughs> I'm I'm really really impressed with um, the the rules of the world that they've built around uh, Josephine in this book. Um, the the yeah, they're heavily rooted in Cthulian horror, but some of the way that they've built, like the um, the eyeless gangsters with the round glasses, yeah, they're great. Uh, and the um, you know the the thing that I like about it, so Cthulian horror in its classic sense, um, you never actually get to experience; you only get to see people who experience the horror. That, That's the whole point. That and it's always world destroying right it's 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 it it's the world it's is like, like always, the poten- world always hangs the, in the balance the, no, yes. no it's the that's poten- what I mean. it's the potential the potential is what i mean yeah. and that's that's what that's how eddie put it like the the <laughs> the world always hangs in the balance if the people who are going insane trying to stop it fail then everything goes everything to shit. goes to shit immediately like they, they, in the woods them, style. they sacrifice yeah, themselves right. to protect everyone right. else whether that's you know an actual physical sacrifice that they die or it's their sanity or their possessions mm-hmm. or whatever they've given up something so that everyone else can continue living with this veil in place. Right. Because if the veil is broken, then everything just goes to shit. Right. What I like about this book is that at no point do they make it feel like it's... They they make it feel like there is a... Like there's a balance to some degree. 
that is being tinkered with by old gods and Cthulian horrors, but nothing in this book ever feels like um, like if some, if somebody fails at what they're doing, then the whole world's going to fall into the abyss, right? It just, it's just, it's not quite that epic of a scale, exactly. And that's what that's what I'm trying to say is it's not an epic scale. I really like the fact that it kind of focuses just on, um, it focuses on Josephine just trying to get by yeah. with this curse that she's been that's been laid on her, and it doesn't try and bring this like epic battle into it it's it's like it's like this this one little character and a couple of the lesser of the Cthulian horrors trying to get at her for something that she can provide to them right uh it's there's parallels between um there's an hp lovecraft story called the music of aaron zahn Mm -hmm. and uh what happens is there is a violin player and his patron goes to visit him while he's playing and uh Things just go to shit while this guy's pl- this guy is playing this amazing music, mm-hmm. and the the patron is just like awed. And all of a sudden, it's like it goes to you know it's perfect for a second, and then it goes farther. And at that point, shit starts getting real weird, weird real quick, and it goes downhill from there. This is the I think I'm eighty percent positive. This was probably a parallel between where they came up with the idea for the the female character. Um, that it's beyond her control, mm-hmm. and that's where I think this story came from. Sort of like the violinist. Yeah, it, it's there's a, a talented artist who's right. too talented. Yeah, out of control talent. So there is one. Hulk uh, cannot control strength. <laughs> on the, on that subject is one thing that I would that I'm going to bring up as far as um, you know we are we are called trade secrets and the pre- premise of this show is that we read a trade and talk about it. However, one of the things that Brubaker and Phillips do with all of their um, noir books is the individual issues of the book will have back matter that's not available in the trades. Uh, and some of the back matter that's in Fatal is fantastic. It's um, a lot of history of Cthulian horror, a lot nice. of stuff about Lovecraft. Do and they a lot ever of, explain like, that symbol? Oh yeah, the, I don't, the, I don't it's on the gravestone. So. It, yeah, the I think the closest they get to no, is, because the back matter stuff is all uh, real, real world, world stuff. Yeah. It's not okay. explanations gotcha. of the story. Joe line. just says she says just something my grandmother used to draw. They're, they're pro- I think that's something that they're going to get to. Life of me, I cannot remember the name of the guy that writes most of their back matter. I'm trying to but think of it. Jess right Nevins. Now. Jess Nevins. But I I think we did an amazing Kickstarter on the Golden Age superheroes, a catalog of them. I've always been a huge fan of Cthulian horror in like. Before I even really knew much about Lovecraft, like I, when I was a kid, I played I, my, my first exposure to it was the Call of Cthulhu RPG, right? Um, which I've always enjoyed that stuff, um, except for Arkham Horror. Don't ever play that fucking shit board game. It's too I've, complex. It's, um, but this this idea that. Um, there you know there are things out there man was not meant to know and the investigators that try and follow it <laughs> just kind of universally get fucked the, the like, entire point of the original um call of cthulhu game was you by defeating the things you lose yeah because like yep. if you you, you know if you read the insane. book you go slowly insane if you look in the cave you go slowly you insane. have your you have your um mythos stat and your sanity stat and neither of them <laughs> can be maintained if the other one raises yep. if you raise your sanity you lose mythos and start not knowing anything about the gods 
if you raise your mythos stat by learning what the fuck's going on, your sanity drops. Sanity. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, talk about a double-edged sword. Oh, man, it's that game is fucking brutal. It's like trying to stab yourself and heal yourself at the same time. There was the D20 a, rebuild of it was not very good. There was an expansion that was released for it that was like, it had three small vignettes, and one of them that like I distinctly remember was that there was a rare creature that had been brought from Africa to this museum. And it, the entire thing is ba- like it, it could sh- the story should have just been called "You're fucked. You're absolutely <laughs> fucked." <laughs> I always thought it was interesting because I've, I've um, only recently, within the last couple of years, I I bought uh, Lovecraft's complete works and have started reading through it. And what's interesting about his, if you read his complete works, is that although all of his things have been brought kind of into one under one umbrella and tied They're into really the same not. mythos there's a lot of them that are not there's there's actually quite a few stories that Lovecraft wrote that were um that were not really that dark like Colorado that were space isn't bad yeah there was um i'm trying to remember what the one w- where um was like the the cloud ship that oh. they that the whole thing was just like descriptions of these beautiful fairy worlds and it was like and it was not really the airship level yeah it was really not like that dark but has been brought into the mythos as a whole because people who got into lovecraft stuff created this mythos as a as a like overarching uh, an overarching world that he created which is interesting because it's informed so much since then yeah pop right? culture is just infused with it and i think it affects like just that style of horror even if the specific mythological critters aren't in there i mean i feel mm-hmm. like welcome to night vale is in that same vein yeah of yeah. like things man was not meant to know are lurking around the corner uh real quick listeners uh joel simon says that he is an unreliable motherfucker and he gives his deepest apologies <laughs> and that goes out to all our <laughs> listeners at home <laughs> that's I, he finally texts us back uh, well, two hours two two hours later that's amazing can i talk about one of the characters in the book you that absolutely I can. particularly appreciated it's the and for one thing i friggin mixed up mixed up the names of everybody especially because there's like multiple generations and josephine is unaging and blah but the the cop that she has a relationship with walter walter yes, yes. Um, to me, he was like what John Constantine could have been in like crazy alt world because like he mm-hmm. starts to you know have the well since he was a kid he's had the ability to like see the that is a such a fantastic scene too yes. by the way on a, on a diverging oh, that is awesome the truck drives yeah. by and in it's got bodies it's got every, tentacles to everybody else in the world it's just a delivery truck loaded with like Grain, flower with sacks rice. in the back <laughs> and he's like hiding in his mom's skirts because he sees these two tentacled fuckers driving, driving a, a truck loaded bodies. with bodies, bodies dead bodies like, dead bodies that's awesome okay. See again, it's like it's like John Constantine, like what he could have been in this crazy alt world where he, you know, took a different path in his life. It's and I appreciated his character because it was like he, he, you were seeing a character after it. it, He'd had a lot of like life choices and development and stuff, and he had a very Mm -hmm. interesting like character track. Blood, blood magic. Yeah. It's all about blood magic. Yeah, I liked that there were enough characters that like some some folk had a kind of hopeful character track, like the frame story guy. And a lot of, I mean, it's Cthulian horror, so a lot of people had the like go slowly insane and or die character track. Oh, his partner got his, par- his partner got it the worst. Here he is, pissed the whipping the uh, the reporter, and all of a sudden it's like. Uh, 
There's a knife in me. Oh, yeah. God, right, right. I'm dead. You think that's the worst? Stabbed by cultists. Well, that- I, 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 yeah, because he didn't yeah. see it coming, and here he was lashing out, handing out vengeance, and then he. Hey, man, that's that's a way to go out. I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I don't know. I know that I know that that was one, definitely one of the most interesting, the 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 the, the deaths or the expirations of characters in this book. I think was very <laughs> well. Expiration, maybe more was, accurate. Yeah, was very well done. By the way, in the in the scene where the cop is investigating the house, uh, if that's not the cop that from Terminator Two at the <laughs> coffee machine, then I don't know who the fuck that is. Oh yeah, you remember the guy that's that right, gets yeah. gets killed and then taken uh, up? Yes, the the prison guard. Anyway, um, one the one of the other things about this book is that at first it's very Walter Booker. His character is very open at first because. You you don't he doesn't actually lead on that he knows about the supernatural world until like you get to the middle kind of then you realize that oh he's got connections to the supernatural he knows about the cult so so in the beginning when they first come across this crime scene he's acting like he doesn't know anything he's like oh it's like it's just a crime scene there's a guy hanging there it's been bled out and he's kind of playing uh I guess you say playing yeah because he, he kind of has to right, at that exactly, point yeah. yeah. But he knows exactly what it is and what and what went on. Um, I am. I was very impressed with this first arc of the book because of how they manage he he. How seamlessly he intertwines the f- I think the four or five main characters in the book and how they. Well, I think it's a credit to Brubaker's writing in general. That no, he, absolutely. He, he he can easily, well. As the reader, it's easy for us to discern, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. is a credit. But he can easily, you know, take these different strings and weave them together in a, a pattern that you don't get lost. What, what's also really cool to me is how he, like, th- kind of the hallmark of noir is that nothing ever goes good for people. And yep. right. <laughs> never. There's no such thing as a happy ending. And <laughs> one of the things that I like about it is how, especially in this fir- first arc, how you see characters who things are not going well for them because they're involved with forces beyond their control, but they've got it kind of in hand until Josephine shows up, right? And, the, like, <laughs> then and I then I the the Like, to, to bring back the, you know, thing we talked about a couple weeks ago from the Breaking Bad thing, like, the catalyst for the destruction of the balance, right, is Josephine has becomes that in this book where there's kind of this, there's kind of this balance where things aren't great, but they're not going to shit yet. And then she comes into the mix and she's the catalyst for everything falling apart. And... I don't know. I just. Um, I think it worked really effectively. I do too. It it lent a sort of natural sense of structure between uh, both the frame story and the main story of the book. And it's such a natural. After reading Fatal, especially these first couple of arcs, because later on in the book, um, it moves. There's there's some one shots that take place in very different time periods. There's actually one that takes like 57, place in fifty seven. Right. There's there's like twenty seven, like, nineteen twenty. Like, like, the 1600s. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And like the mod- the current, the the last arc, not the current arc. The last arc was in the 90s. Um, but reading through the first arcs that took place, like kind of in co- you know back and forth between like the 30s and the 50s, um, it's amazing to me that noir and Cthulhu haven't been mixed more. Right, they're both like worlds of darkness. They're they, so they seem, compatible. They're yeah. so this book 
proves how compatible those um the kind of mythologies are between the two of them that it amazes me that there hasn't been more of this done to excuse me to a certain extent i feel like um the white wolf books world of darkness absolutely this makes me think uh they took not necessarily the the cthulian monsters themselves but the themes from those books and mixed them with a noir setting i don't know if they have as many explicit noir tropes uh as fatal does i mean yeah the the black dog stuff is what i'm thinking of yeah yeah i can kind of see that but i think that was um those were such a such a vanilla progression of the the of the old school vampire tropes and then they extended the vampire world to encompass other mythologies like changeling and werewolf and all that kind of stuff and, uh, mage to and me it feels really cthulian uh, not noir. yeah 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 so Thank you. <laughs> i was like um which world of darkness book uh wraith mage, mage. Uh, not changeling. hunter changeling shit not changeling not change oh god not changeling <laughs> not werewolf um but werewolf definitely has the the whole and it's so i guess i guess i would i would love to see more because this when i first started reading this so and i've brought this up before but no nobody's ever nobody really ever seen it there's there's this movie that i absolutely love called cast a deadly spell it is it came out in the late 80s and it had fred ward in it and it's impossible to find literally the only way you can get it now is if you can happen to find uh, an old vhs copy it never came out on dvd um (laughs) And this, it was a movie about where Fred Ward plays a private investigator and he, the world, magic exists in the world um, and the old gods are part of the world. The Cthulian mythos is very prominent. Um, and, but he is a private investigator who very specifically refuses to use magic in any way. It was a TV movie. That's part of the reason why oh, it's it was hard a TV to movie. Find. Okay. Um, and he gets hired by this rich philanthropist because this rich guy's copy of the Necronomicon got stolen. And he gets hired by this guy to find this copy of the Necronomicon. And there's, it's a, there's a lot more comedy in it than there, um, than there is in, in like fatal. His name is H Philip Lovecraft. Yes. Yes. It is. It is one of my favorite like cheese ball movies. And like I said, there's a lot of comedy in it. There's this spectacular slapstick comedy scene that's set on a construction site where the 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 bulk of the construction labor on the site is zombies. <laughs> and there's some fantastic slapstick comedy in that scene. But um that is the only other like straight up like classic noir meets um like classic noir with noir tropes meets cthulian horror that i can remember and um i wish there were more of it after reading more fatale because i really like the combination of the two i think it's a great way to to like mess with noir tropes too honestly like i mean there's there's an argument to be made that that the call of cthulhu setting um is is a fairly noir except for the fact that it's it's almost like um alone in the dark yeah I, so the the, the c- game's not the guys we got right, not right, the right, movie right. the, <laughs> the cthulhu the call of cthulhu world um tends to me to feel a lot more like a 
corruption of the classic adventure stories, right? So it's more like Indiana Jones, but shit goes really, really bad for the adventurers. <laughs> it's like Indiana Jones, <laughs> um, but there's tentacles inside the Ark of the Covenant. Exactly. Also, oh, like like Pitfall, the mine adventure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I, uh, I I love this book. I don't know. I don't know. I think we've gotten have, talked. I don't think we've talked about read? the book that much, but it's we sort have. of. I mean, it's like we've been talking around these about ideas that are related to the book, which I think is a key of a good book because it makes you think about other stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I kind of don't want to spoil anything from this for other people, and I know that's the point of the show, but it's, it's just that good. good. Go, go, go read it. Tentacle, um, tentacle heads are extremely popular. I don't think we've read anything on this show by Brew Baker that we haven't liked. And yeah. this just follows the same suit. If you like Brubaker's writing, this is some of his best. Um, He's good at a strong narrative voice, and that's really important in this book, just on a craft level of yeah. setting it up so that enough of the like horror revealed underneath gets shows through at the correct times. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of... I'm going to get on an academic soapbox for a hot second. Um, a lot of science fiction... It connects to Gnosticism, which is in general the idea that there is like there is a world beyond our world where everything you can makes only see sense the shadows in the cave awesome. of the things. Right, exactly. So like the Matrix, like ah, hey, we're living in the shadow world, and right. there's a real world somewhere. I kind of like this sort of genre because it's like the opposite of that. It's like yeah, we're in this real world, but there's a world under our world, and yeah. everything sucks ass. <laughs> we can only see the shadows on the wall. If we could actually see the things, they'd be horrible, and our minds would explode. And God I like that. Damn it, you just. You've just got. There's a show in the early '80s that I used to watch when I was a kid called Tales from the Dark Side. Oh, that oh, was amazing! Dude. Yeah, that was awesome. And I've got now. I've got to be. <laughs> how did it? It went. Um, oh fuck! Now I can't remember. I used, I used to be able to recite the the opening s- credit sequence. To I love the parody of it in Futurama, the Scary Door. Yeah, the <laughs> Scary Door. <laughs> so art. It's Sean Phillips. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I, I just, I just need to, not know, only, not only, I, I really gritty. I like you know it. Th- that actually brings up a, a slight tangent topic that people have been talking about lately about um, how the comics industry has started to reverse from what it was in the late eighties and the nineties. Where in the late eighties and the nineties, you bought a book for its art. You bought the artists were the king of of the comic book industry, um, and you you the writer was secondary and that is completely flip-flopped to the point where people are now starting to have the discussion of why artists have been sidelined. And it's interesting because I think, I think writers have, have worked for so long, especially in the nineties and the early two thousands to, to bring themselves to prominence because of the fact that, yeah, the art is important in a book, but without a writer providing a good narrative, then you might as well just look at a pinup. You might as gallery. well just looking look at posters, right? right? I, um, but the beauty for me of the Brubaker Phillips collaboration is that they work so phenomenally well together. The two of them are what build the stories that they create um, between Criminal and Incognito and Fatal and like. I think that I think that this could you know there this of course could be done. By another artist, but Phillips, Phillips is good at, at creating an atmosphere that yeah, fits yeah. the story really, really well. And he knows Brubaker's style of writing so well that the two of them together are just like, just like a phenomenal creative team. Um, 
and and they're not for everybody, right? Like I definitely Phillips's art is definitely very specific to, to the kind of noir style that Brubaker writes for him and the tropes that he includes in his storylines. I don't but think the story would work well though if it had really crisp line. Oh, or I don't like, think so either. You know, no, it has to be gritty. It has to be gritty and dark and like unclean. Not really like airbrushed and just like refined. I yeah, think. because like I, I don't think if you take a, a popular like capes artist would not work on a book like <laughs> <Capes>. this. Like, <laughs> like there are there are artists that work for specific in specific styles and guys like um, uh, like like if you take like perfect example like Capullo would Cap- never who Capullo, I was trying to think of Capullo right. would never would not work in like a fairy tale. Like a freaking yeah. bright and shiny world, Capullo would be like just it would, just wouldn't work. I Capullo everything he does is dark and it works because that's his style of yeah. that's his style of art. So normally, but, I think there's a you know like in the early '90s, late '80s, you know, it was let's say people were buying books 80 percent for art, 20 percent for story. But there were some amazing stories. One of the things that I think is the the most important thing about um, like criminal uh, noir and Ah, uh, fuck! I can't remember the superhero one. Um, What's it? The one set in the Wildstorm universe. Yeah, I know who you're talking. No, talking. no, I'm not thinking of. Uh, I'm thinking of the one that just came out, um, where the the villain goes into rehab, and he finds out by smoking pot, it takes off his inhibitors, and he becomes a superhero. Polarity. No. Uh, but what? Kill. No, no, no. This is it's it's Phillips and Brubaker. Oh, I don't know. Um, incognito. There we go. Oh, the one that I've mentioned five times over the course of this show. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> just, just follow me through this. Oh, so. God. Um, I mean, like, with these books, it's not only... So it's it's not 40% or 50% Brubaker and Phillips. It's, like, 33% Brubaker, 33% Phillips, 20% uh, Dave Stewart, and then, you know, their editor... Like, the entire team is contributing to these books, and it's mm-hmm. just... It's the perfect... Bl- everyone has... Everyone's talents lend to supporting everyone else. Um, Dave Stewart's colors help accentuate Sean Phillips. Mm-hmm. Sean Phillips' uh, direction for panels helps accentuate Brubaker's writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brubaker's writing is so easy for the editor. The editor lets them just go nuts. And it just, <laughs> it, it's a perfect match. And when you, it's so nice it's, when that happens. It's a rarity, but, you know. Yeah, it I feel like Pretty Deadly often. is another. Pretty sort Deadly of is another one. Team. Yeah. Um, I think the same thing about Casanova and Umbrella Academy. Uh. Mm-hmm. I think that that particular pairing of writer uh, and artist, and you know, just the entire staff, because it's it, you know, it is more than two people who do these books. Mm-hmm. Um, th- it's it's really nice to see books of this caliber because they don't happen that often. Yeah, yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I there's, it's hard for me to say anything like. Th- this is one of the this is one of those books by Brubaker and Phillips that I would be I'd almost be willing to recommend to anybody even if they're not noir fans. I would say absolutely even if they're not noir fans because it's got more going on than yeah. that. Yeah, because because like Criminal is so heavily rooted in in classic noir that if you're not a fan of noir, you're probably not going to like Criminal. Um, but this book, I feel like it's got. It's got so so many other little like side side and undercurrents, especially later. Like once you get past the first couple of arcs. So how far have you read in this book? I'm current on it. Okay. I, the only one I haven't read is the most recent issue, which is 19. Or actually, I guess 20 comes 20 out. Comes out next week. Next week. Um, 
and there there was a series of one shots that kind of yeah. go looking into the far history of not just not Josephine specifically, but the fatal kind of idea uh, idea in the world that were eh, they were okay. Um, they they I, were they were fine and interesting history builders, but I um, would be interested in like as a sort of occult nerd, if that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be interested in going through and reading the rest of the series just to see like there was like the one little hint of tarot in this, and mm-hmm. I'm like mm-hmm. I bet there's more later and I want to see what it is and I want to see like if they bring in an alias or Crowley or any of the other like occult weirdos or if they stick solidly in Lovecraft territory I don't know like it's you say there's pretty, a lot of undercurrents sticks pretty solidly in Lovecraft territory I think over the course dabble, of it yeah. but it's um, but that's kind of okay to me yeah. like because um, it doesn't the beauty it's a that consistent world. It, it stays consistent and doesn't dilute um, the myth, the mythos that they want to inject into their storyline. So, so with the uh, the one offs, I think like they're they're good stories. Um, I prefer the sort of the same theory with Lovecraft as I do with this, where if the writer leaves it up to the reader's imagination, the reader not only is it going to be worse than anything that the writer can think of, but it's going to be individual individualized to each different reader. Like mm-hmm. my idea of what's terrible is different than Eddie's or Anne's. You know. Um, by sort of leaving just that that hint, don't spell everything out. You really make a, a better, more powerful. I think that the one shot. So this is getting outside the scope of what we read. Um, and I apologize to the two of you who haven't read later on in the series. But uh, the the last thing I wanted to Spoiler. say about is like <laughs> some of those one shots is that I think that those storylines that they included in the one shots would have been would have been better as spread out over the series as. F- either flashbacks or short like two or three page like inserts in yeah. the books instead like of being the their the own arc. yeah like instead of being their own thing but anyway i'm uh i think this book is fantastic and i am a, if we're going to go into buy borrow burn it's a solid easy buy and i think it's a i think to me it's a universal buy and it's a great introduction into the brubaker phillips verse in my opinion. So easy buy for me. What about you, Eddie? Purchase. Purchase. <laughs> I'd buy it. Squidface Joe says buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can kill Squidface Joe. Nobody can kill Squidface Joe. He's the unkillable. See? Uh, <laughs> you cut off one tentacle, I got another one. <laughs> uh, one tentacle. Now the tentacle grows in its place. Uh, so yeah, buy borrow burn goes to a <laughs> solid buy, f- solid four person buy, and I'm pretty sure that if uh, Joel is Joel ever back it. on the show, he'd probably love it too. So he's tentacle uh, has his own thirty eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try uh, using a Tommy gun with tentacles. Yeah, try, eh? try using a Tommy gun with tentacles. <laughs> Snub nose so in the tentacles, a Tommy gun's in the hands. <laughs> All right, so like I said earlier, <laughs> the uh, um, the schedule has completely changed for our show. We had to My do Squidhead Joe. We had to call some audibles, so um, we are going to be doing the next three shows. Uh, the next show after this, we are going to be talking about what? What is it? What? Oh, it's Nowhere Men. We're doing. I just said it. We're to doing you. Nowhere Men, and huh. hopefully Joel picked that book, so hopefully he'll actually show up for the episode. <laughs> um, it's attractive. It's got Helvetica. Yeah, it's uh, it's very very. Fontish, yeah, 
So we're going to do Norman for the next episode. The episode after that, we're going to do the first... Is it the first trade of the volume one of The Authority, right? Just the okay. first one. The first trade of the original volume one of The Authority from ages ago. And then uh, the third show from now is actually the end of March, which is going to be our Emerald City Comic Con show. Hooray. Like I said, we will have a table at Emerald City Comic Con. Unfortunately, Eddie is not going to be able to join us not for the con. But I think... I know Andy's coming... No. I know Anne's going to be there yep. for at least part of it, and I'm going to be there, and Joel is kind of up in the air right now. But I merely promise attendance, not sobriety. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Uh, so if you want to come by and, and check <laughs> us out, we, we don't know what our table number for in Artist Alley is going to be yet. I should have that information sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but come visit us at Emerald City Comic Con. We will be doing a show that is going to center around the first trade of Sheltered by Ed Brisson and Johnny Christmas. We will also have, at some point during the con, Ed and Johnny on the show to talk about Sheltered, about their uh, their new movie deal for Sheltered. Um, and then we are also going to have uh, Curtis Weeb and, and Rock Up Church from, uh, from Rat Queens on the show which is an absolutely phenomenal book. If you're if you're a nerd, if you're a D&D nerd of any kind, you should be reading Rat Queens. It's absolutely fantastic. Um, so yeah, that's our that's our upcoming shows. Hopefully that's not going to change. It shouldn't there's no reason for that uh, particular schedule to change. Uh, once we get closer to Emerald City Comic Con, we'll start talking about what we're going to be reading after Emerald City Comic Con. But if you would like to be part of any of those shows and talk to us about Nowhere Men or Sheltered, or if you want questions for the for the people that we're going to have on the show at Emerald City Comic Con, send us an email at tradesecretsatgeekerific.com. And we will, if you have questions for those creators, please let us know and we will definitely ask those of them when we have them on the show. Uh, you can also tweet us at Trade Secrets Pod. You can hit up our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Trade Secrets Podcast. Um, Eddie is uh, going to be here for, what, one more episode before you're out for a while, right? I don't even think so. Because next weekend... We have one on the... F- oh, no, you're leaving March 1st, and our next show Yay. is March 1st. All right, so so Eddie's out for probably the next three or four shows. Oh. Um, we're gonna we're gonna miss you, man. The physically unable to perform list. It was nice that you uh came. You you were gone for four episodes. You come back for one. You're gone for four more. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just happy to have you here. <laughs> just happy to be here. Um, at Grape Doctor. At Grape Doctor on Twitter. There's, yes. You know, you beat me to it, <laughs> Eddie. Who are you on Twitter? I am Mathtastrophe. And I am at and Bean Tweets. I am at Geek Elite. You can follow us all on Twitter. Our show feed is at Trade Secrets Pod, like I said before. Uh, not a lot of posts on that feed uh, because we generally only post show announcements there, but um, hopefully, like someday, maybe we'll start posting more on that. If feed. I work less, it'll, we gotta it'll get happen. <laughs> it's all about synd- getting syndicated and getting that HD. The HD, yeah, the HD feed, yeah, HD seriously, because I'm. Uh, um, I, I'm I'm buried in revisions for my book, so I, that's why I don't. I mean, when I do tweet, uh, it's I like oh my god, yeah, it's like these these like long barren periods, and then like one day where I'm just like, <laughs> or or I don't always tweet, or two, but when, <laughs> when I, I do, I go ham. <laughs> uh, first person at the con who comes up to me and says, "Hail Satan!" I'll give you something awesome. Oh, look at that challenge. He's um, not being sarcastic. I know it's usually <laughs> he is, but this time, dead serious. Yeah, it is entirely possible that if you say Hail Satan to him at the show... Just the first person. Just the first person. He he might produce something from under the table uh, that... <laughs> tentacles! T- squid, <laughs> squid Joe. That came out wrong. Hey. <laughs> yeah, ooh, tentacles from under the table. <laughs> just one. Uh, yeah, just one. That's right. 
We will be back in two weeks with Nowhere Men. Uh, Feel free to send us questions, and we will hopefully see you guys at Emerald City Comic Con. This has been episode 61 of the Trade Secrets Podcast, and we are out. Thank you.